Hi, I'm Louisa Boa-Taylor, and this is Future Food, where food trends and new technologies converge. There is a systemic change occurring in our food system. In this podcast, we speak to entrepreneurs, investors, chefs, farmers, and others defining that future. In this episode, I speak to Demir Vangelov, who's the CEO of Soylent, the company many of you might know for making meal replacement drinks for busy entrepreneurs and venture capitalists in Silicon Valley. This has been a somewhat controversial category when I've brought it up during my hot or not rounds on this podcast, with most guests responding negatively to the concept of replacing meals with a drink. And perhaps Soylent has taken this on board, as in more recent years it started calling itself a nutrition company and it has a small but growing number of product lines not just focused on meal replacement but all of them made from plants. Demir has been the CEO for nearly two years now and according to a great article I read in Fortune it's been a bit of a turnaround story and the company has been profitable since mid 2020 for the first time. So I jumped at the opportunity to chat with him. He has a background in media and in food working for one of the first almond milk companies out there Califia so it's great to hear his take on the future of plant-based foods as well. Enjoy. Thank you Demir for joining me today on the Future Food Podcast. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Where are you based at the moment and what did you last eat? I am based in Los Angeles, California, and my last meal was a pan-seared tuna steak last night. (laughs) Oh, wow. That sounds great. Delicious. (laughs) Very, very good. Are you originally from Canada? Is that what I saw on your LinkedIn? I am Canadian and before that, Bulgarian. So lived in Europe for a long time, then moved to Toronto, spent a good chunk of my career there, and then in the United States since 2010. Fantastic. Okay, I just moved back from the States, so I'm also a European, was a European export there. (laughs) (laughs) But I see, looking at your background, um, it sort of got me excited that you have a mixture of food experience and also media on the finance side, but you've worked at some very big media organizations, including uh, CBC in in Canada and MSNBC. So can you tell me a bit about your background and how you got into food? Yeah, so I started my career in food in Heinz and Kraft uh, and got my training in finance and kind of strategy development there and then got recruited by uh, an old Coke exec to help him build out the finance and revenue function at the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation in Toronto. And that launched my career for 10 years into building digital businesses and new revenue generating businesses for media companies, both in Toronto and then in New York, where I worked for what used to be the MSNBC Digital Network, which essentially had all the digital rights to NBC News and MSN News uh, in the United States. It was great learning for us to transition an old business uh, from print or TV into the digital world, whether it was the Toronto Star newspaper, whether it was CBC going to cbc.ca news and then representing all of NBC uh, online. Yeah. Oh, wow. Fantastic. Well, it's probably a topic for another podcast that we could dig into the evolution of media because um, obviously it's been a kind of crazy transition, but how interesting. And then you moved and you worked for Califia Farms, which is one of the leading almond milk brands. 
That's correct. So I came to California and Los Angeles specifically. I was uh, California Farms first CFO and first COO when they became an independent company and got their first big investment. And uh, really our charge was to take uh, what was little known cold brew and almond milk company to uh, really grow it uh, in the United States and uh, internationally. So I spent my time between geographical expansion of California Farms first into the United States grocery trade and then uh, we grew it into united kingdom australia canada and then they continued after i left but that was kind of the footprint that we started building back then oh fantastic so they're cold brew and almond milk when i started they only had one two cold brews and, and an almond milk line of businesses in addition to their uh, legacy juices and uh, when I left, we were in creamers and yogurt, drinkable yogurt, various plant-based milks, and a variety of uh, cold brew coffees and functional beverages. Yeah. So that must have been quite a space to have been in looking at the growth. I mean, huge growth in, in plant-based milks, that category. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's incredibly exciting. And one of the things that the plant-based industry has done it's really built up on the technology to not just deliver good nutrition, but really to build on taste. And California Farms was one of the first companies to actually really focus on not just creating a normal milk, but a normal milk that is actually good tasting and the bottle is great looking. So the consumer trade-off between a plant-based diet and a good tasting product essentially disappeared in the plant milk environment. And then we took that learning and applied it to coconut milks and then to oat milks and so on and so forth. So uh, it was a very exciting, I would say, technological breakthrough on how to actually manufacture good tasting plant-based products. Yeah, it's really interesting. And there's a lot of data out at the moment that people are talking about the shift to plant-based eating and drinking. And actually in the kind of meat industry, there's still a growing amount of consumption in you know conventional meat. But milk is the one category where I think plant-based has actually been taking some market share. Absolutely. And I think there's just a ton of consumption in beverages. And uh, the one thing that beverages do, they allow you to customize your diet easier than, say, a meat product. Uh, you can put it in a shake, you can put it in soup, you can put it in, in the yogurt, you can put it in all kinds of different things. And uh, and really, it's an easy entry for a consumer who may be thinking of plant-based diet or maybe trying to experiment to enter and to really play around and figure out what works for them. And that's what yeah. we find that in a lot of the plant-based environment, and that applies to California Farms, it applies to Soylent and others, is that consumers don't come in and say, okay, starting tomorrow, I'm a vegan. Many people don't do that. They enter plant-based diet one at a time. They become more aware of it or they they cut out something in the morning and then they feel better and then they replicate it and do it again and again and then eventually they may end up at a level of either plant-based or meat-based or dairy-based diet where they're comfortable and i think that's what we are trying to do as well at least from a certain perspective is to really educate consumers and say you need to find the right nutrition for yourself which is healthy for you so we'll help you educate you and give you choices to do that and uh, I think a lot of companies and California Farms was on the forefront of that. It's really guiding the consumer on this journey of getting better educated, getting better nutrition and getting healthier. 
Yeah, that's really interesting. And I like how you segued into the pitch for Soylent, by the way, very smooth. (laughs) But you're right. I've never thought about it that way that, yeah, like your drinks can be an easy route or a a quicker route into plant-based. It's certainly for me, you know, I I have plant-based milk in my coffee. I like how it tastes. So that's my preference. But before we get to Soylent, I want to ask you this um, bigger question that I generally ask my guests. And perhaps trying to not include something around uh, drinkable meals. But, you know, if you were to picture the food system in 2050, can you tell me what it looks like? Maybe name a couple of things that look different from today in the way that we consume, purchase and eat and grow our food. Yeah, well, the UN estimates that there will be 10 billion human beings on Earth by 2050, which will drive a lot of very different decisions. I think there will be three main areas that we'll see a dramatic change from today. I think label transparency will be taken to a level where people will better understand what does it mean for the label to represent the ingredients and the nutritionals of different products. Today, we are pioneering that, other companies as well, where we don't shy away from our label. And I think that will become a bigger trend where people will not feel that nine ingredients is better than 11 ingredients. What they will to start to understand and really focus on and to say which ingredients are good for me, which ingredients my body requires, and which ingredients help me have a healthier lifestyle. I think that would be a huge departure from where we're today. I think the second big trend that uh, I believe will happen, and we haven't seen it yet, is really better consumer understanding of what does it mean to process food. A lot of our food is processed, Some people are now talking about minimally processed or well-processed or what does it mean? And I think as consumers get more educated, uh, we will start seeing a better understanding of what does it mean? What is the science behind processing foods? Why do you need to do certain things to ensure either health or food safety or quality or things like that? And that processing by itself, it's not necessarily bad. It's what goes into the foods. And hence, I think the label and the processing knowledge of the consumers will be very important. So I think we will see a dramatic departure of how people talk about it and how people think about it. And one example is, if you look at at the nutritional label of, say, a banana, there is dozens and dozens and dozens of ingredients in it. We just don't label them what like an organic chemistry person would do so, right? It doesn't mean that they're bad, they're necessary for your nutrition, but we just haven't gotten to the level of, of education and maybe comfort with consumers to really think through that. And then the last big step that I believe will happen, and we are starting to see some progress, uh, but we're not there yet from a number one scientific and number two uh, consumer preferences, what I call the movement from no-kill to no-till. Uh, right now, we as an industry are in the, in the position where we're saying we don't want to kill animals to feed the earth or the people. We we want to move towards a plant-based diet where we grow things out of the, gra- out the ground and we want to protect the environment from the impact of animal agriculture and things like that. I think there will be a movement where we'll start saying, how do we minimize the tilling of the land and how do we improve the land and how do we create nutrients that don't require massive amounts of space or land or tilling or anything like that. And I think that movement will continue. And think about it. There is there is some companies that produce proteins that are, do not require plants or they don't require animals. There's companies that produce meat. There are companies that produce fish. 
And I think that strength and that science will continue to develop and really, really pop out in 10 years from now. Are you a vegetarian? I am not purely vegetarian, no. I'm largely plant-based, but I am not exclusively plant-based. So a reducitarian? I would say reducitarian or flexitarian. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Great. So um, why did you join Soylen? And so you were the CFO for a number of years, and then you became the CEO more recently. What drew you to, to Soylent? You know, I have always been fascinated with a better-for-you uh, foods ecosystem. And California really took that to a very high level. They were pioneer in that space. What really attracted me to Soylent is the notion of functional nutrition. And uh, Soylent is the one company that still is probably one of the original food tech companies that really drives functional, healthy nutrition forward. Obviously, we have taken the path of creating three products and three product categories that demonstrate an ability to do so. Beverages is our biggest category, but I was just fascinated with how much impact the category can have, not only on consumers, but just on a higher level education around plant-based diet and good nutrition. And that really attracted me to Soylent. And uh, I started, obviously, as a CFO and CIO. And then when I transitioned to a CEO role, uh, we have really amplified that message. So was that one of your core goals then when you took over? You know, did you know what it was? Were you very clear on what you wanted to achieve? Often you, it takes being in another role and kind of being an observer of certain decision-making processes. Were you very clear what you wanted to do and bring that plant-based message? Because I, I, you know, thinking back to the story of Soylent, it's the meal replacement shake. That's the image. It's the tech bros. You know, they haven't got a chance. They're like iterating on their products and they're drinking that because they haven't got time to go outside and get food. You know, that's the sort of image. So is this whole plant-based image, is that something that's come with your leadership? It did not come with me. It was always there. So when Rob Reinhardt started the company, he did envision the world where most of the food comes from plants and it's sustainable and it's good for the environment, it's good for the people. However, I think at one moment of time that got lost. I think we had good products, we had good core base of consumers, but just like every startup goes through ups and downs, we had our down where we were focusing on too many priorities at, at the same time. So when I started and I took over as a CEO, I really knew that I needed to do a couple of things. I knew that we needed to double down on the core promise of Soylent. It started as a meal replacement, but it could be so much more than that. And uh, there is many more occasions and many more functions that Soylent beverages could bring to a consumer. So we knew we can do that by focusing, start with the core, and then uh, go into the other categories that, that Soylent consumers are looking for. And then the other thing that we knew is that for us to be successful, we need to grow in a measured way with products that not only have good function, but good taste. Really, for me, when I took over in early 2020, we said we will concentrate on our key growth demographics in terms of consumers that were looking the, the specific benefits that Sun provides. And then we were going to focus on very specific growth areas in terms of channels. We had obviously very good footprint in online. And then we said we will very carefully grow into US retail. We're not going to target everybody at the same time. But what we're going to do is really do a good job at one channel. And for us, that was mass and big groceries, so Walmart and Target. And then we said, once we figure that out, 
we'll move on and figure out the next one, which this year for us is really the drug cost trade. Yes, it's really interesting. I was reading a fantastic feature, I think it's in Fast Company, and talking about, you know, your new client base, essentially. And as you mentioned, it's Walmart and, and Kroger's customers who obviously, you know, it's not going to be that sort of Silicon Valley, I need to replace my meal with this drink. You know, how did you identify that newer client base and how would you describe them? Why are they drinking Soylent? Great question. We started as a meal replacement in powder format. And then quickly we moved from powder to beverages, but they were still meal replacements. The one thing that we now know is our folks that still like to replace meal are still with us. And they do it at lunch and dinner and maybe in, in breakfast and all that. But there's three other categories that we know are very well represented among our consumers. They manage their nutrition across a week or across two weeks or a month. And what they're saying is on Monday mornings and Tuesday mornings, I'll have a Soylent and then I'll work out and maybe go out for a steak dinner at night. And then the next, the next day, I'll be largely staying away from hard foods and I'll be plant-based again. Many people curate their nutrition, not in each meal, but they curate their nutrition across a period of time. And uh, for most of us, it's easier to think about it that you do it over a course of a week, uh, but some people do it over a course of a month. And what they say is, over the next week, I want to get that many calories, and I want that many calories to come from plant-based foods, and I want that many calories to come from something else. They also say, I need that much protein on a daily basis, I need that much fiber, I need that many carbs and all that. And all of these consumers, I think, are so well-educated, and they're so plugged in into how their body feels and what their needs are, and they overlay that with their belief system whether it's plant-based foods are good for you, which we also believe, but also they have a number of other things, whether they're religious or agricultural or sustainability or whatnot, and they overlay their nutrition on top of their own personal belief. And Soyon plays very well with that group. I would say that's probably our biggest consumer. The third group of people that we have is managing their weight. There is many, many people who cannot gain healthy weight, if you can believe it. And they cannot find the right food that can sustain a healthy weight in the long term. Soylent is extremely good at doing that. It provides you with all the nutrients, with all the minerals, with everything that your body needs, and it does it in a way that helps your body digest it, which it increases the health effects of, on you and also allows you to sustain the energy, sustain the nutrition in the longer term and actually maintain healthy weight. It also helps people who try to manage their weight down. Right? There's many people... We usually talk about the folks that try to lose weight, but they're just about half of those that they're trying to measure their weight. And then the third group of people are folks that have some kind of challenge with their health. For example, there's people who have trouble chewing vegetables. There is people who have trouble digesting plant-based food. There's people who have IBS or they have dysphagia. And those are medical conditions that the current food system does not allow them to support the proper nutrition. Right? If you have trouble chewing food, if you go to the grocery store and there's tens of thousands of products in that grocery store, there's probably five or ten that will support you. So folks like that have an extremely hard time maintaining healthy nutritional profile, getting all the nutrients that they need, and we play very well in groups like that. But that's where you were saying you're moving into more of a medical type field. Partly it is. Sector. And there is science that we are working with which shows that healthy 
food intake has comparable health benefits in the longer term to taking medicine. If we can educate people, if we can work with governments and grocery stores and medical professionals to help people understand how healthy food intake, how all the things that your body needs can help you have a healthier life, I think we will be we'll have a great outcome for all of us. So it's amazing how, you know, as you've mentioned, so many consumers are very educated about this. And I'm sure this probably was quite different even five years ago. Do you think you would have had that market, you know, you've kind of re-angled Soylent in some ways to attract a broader customer base. Do you think that that market existed a few years ago? You could have captured that value before? You know, you're now profitable, I believe, and, and you know, you weren't, you know, in the last couple of years that sort of happened. Is that been a timing thing or is it that you've just captured a market that you weren't targeting properly before? I think it's hard to take a product from a small start to a mass mass market. It's hard for, it was hard for Calafia, it was hard for all of these startups, it, it was hard for Soylent. We found very quickly kind of our core group of consumers back then, right? We described them as Silicon Bros or we called them meal replacers or whatnot. We knew that. What was very hard to do is figure out who the next group of consumers are and work with them to educate them about the benefits of Soylent. I think what we did very well in the past two years, it's really talking to those additional demographics that we're going into and really help them understand what Soylent is all about and how we fit into their lifestyle. What we really focused on is taste, we focused on all the benefits of Soylent. We focus on the fact that we're plant-based. We are very low in sugar. We have all the nutrition that you need. And consumers knew that they were looking for that. And that's where the education of the consumer and the benefits of the product come together. And I agree with you. I think five to 10 years ago, people were not as well educated, right? I think the science about nutrition, the science about food was advanced, but it was not as easily accessible as it is today. Right, You can go online, there's blogs, there's dietitians, there's nutritionists, there's people who talk about nutrition all the time. And that's what we take is we say, we work with all these folks, we work with them to promote science, we work with them to promote good health and good nutrition and help people make even more educated choices. And sometimes we fit in it and sometimes we don't, but we still want a healthier population, we still want a healthier outcome. And we believe that people who understand the details around healthy nutrition will make better choices for themselves and for the environment in the longer term. Yeah, what are you doing to ensure that your products are inclusive? You know, one of the big um, problems in America, but also in other parts of the world, is that, you know, there are food deserts, they're part of the population that just do not have access to healthy food. How are you ensuring that Soylent is a brand for everyone? And how are you bringing people up that educational curve? You know, those consumers that you've described are very particular types that have spent time to invest their time to research food in that way and nutrition. A lot of people don't have the time for that. So what sort of steps are you taking? You're absolutely correct. There is a there is a bigger portion of the population that has a hard time accessing education about food. I'll give you one example. We started online where our consumers were extremely well-educated about their nutritional needs, right? They can read it up. They, they were on science website and just took everything that we needed. Well, our first two retailers in the United States were 7-Eleven and Walmart, right? That is the demographic that has the most challenges. The people who have no time and then run into a convenience store in the morning or at lunch, the people who run into Walmart and all of that, 
those are some of the demographics that are the most challenged being educated about food, nutrition, and also getting access to not just calories, but to proper nutrition. We purposefully went into those two retailers. As opposite, for example, to when I was at California Farms, our first retailer was Whole Foods, which talks to a demographic which is very different than the demographic that goes into Walmart. And we still continue to build on that legacy where we're reaching out to, to folks and demographic groups that may have less access to either education or to proper nutrition where they live and where they shop. The other thing that we're doing is we're working very extensively with food banks, universities, colleges, and just the nonprofit sector to not only educate consumers about what good nutrition looks like, but also support them with their needs. We are currently almost up to 5 million meals donated in the United States and Canada, which for our size company is a significant number. And we continue to do that for two reasons. We want to support groups and areas so that they're underrepresented. For example, we work quite uh, quite well with a few organizations in downtown LA, Skid Row, and others. We also work nationally with Feeding America to support food banks via product and also via education. And those, again, are underrepresented groups that are not as well educated as probably you and I are about nutrition. And how do we not only give them something to eat, but also how do we help them know the next time they're grabbing something, what's better for them, right? And we do quite a bit of work uh, along that. We think of ourselves not just as a company that creates great beverages, but we think of ourselves as a company that has a mission to create better education about complete nutrition, about good nutrition, not just for you, but also for the environment. Yes, I want to dig into the environmental piece. But firstly, you know, just a drinkable meal. I've asked a few people about this on this podcast. I sometimes do this hot or not round and I go through different trends. And when I say drinkable meals, a lot of people say not. And they say it's so sad, you know, meals are to be enjoyed. It's a key part of the culture. Sit down with people, enjoy fresh food, not processed. I know you've touched on the processing side um, already, but that's just a sticking point. And actually, you know, someone that, you know, recently had a baby, wants to manage my weight, the idea of actually being able to manage your calorie intake with soil, it sounds brilliant. And I'm annoyed that you're not in the UK. But on the other hand, you know, it, I don't know how much it would be part of my life. Like how much of a lasting consumer am I? Maybe it's just going to be for a certain period of my life. And then for you, you need to continually acquire customers. So, I mean, just talk me through that sort of, drinkable meal thing. I think you're probably moving away from that as an image somewhat, but you know, how sort of deep is that as a as a concept? Correct. There is a large portion of the population that think that meals need to be chewed. There's also a large portion of the population that cannot do that. So they're very well used to not chewing their meals. What our promise to consumers are is that you don't have it's not a black and white choice. What we're providing them is with the education and the opportunity to really curate their nutrition across across their week. We're not saying, hey, you should not be going out for a nice dinner with your husband. We're not saying that. What we're saying is in the morning when you're rushing with the baby, with the car, with work, with everything else going on in your life, many people make a bad choice. And that's what we're trying to solve for. We don't want you to go and grab some bag of chips or something from fast food restaurant or something like that. Or we also don't want you to skip a meal because that's also not good for you. So what we're saying is we'll provide you 
with an easy way to get the nutrition and the energy that will sustain you until your next meal. And you, you don't. Yeah, I mean that is a, yeah, that's a great point about making the wrong choices. You know, one of the key things that I notice when in living in America is that when you're on the road, most of the choices are going to be fast food, unless you're in the middle of a quite metropolitan city. It's going to be really <laughs> crappy food choices, uh, food options out there. So another sort of bugbear that I might have with soy would be that soy is the core ingredient. And I know that soy gets a bad rep and perhaps it's it's a bit unfair. But equally, you know, a lot of the environmental impacts of the, the animal agriculture industry is related to monocropping of, of soy and for feed and so on. That you're not really... You're, of course, you are um, getting around the animal, but you're not necessarily getting rid of some of those challenges. So you're not really revolutionizing the supply chain. Have you looked into other core ingredients aside from soy? And also on the soy point, what do you? How far um, up the up the chain do you go into the sourcing practices of that soy? Great question. That's not we're pro science. We follow the science where it leads us in terms of nutrition, in terms of sustainability, in terms of our ingredients. We're constantly on the lookout for proteins and other ingredients. We have looked at just about any protein that's come out to market, whether it's in early stage of development or has been around for a while and just coming up. And we haven't found a protein that is better than soy from all the things that we're trying to achieve, from nutritional profile, taste profile, manufacturing profile, and agricultural and sustainability point of view. That doesn't mean that a few years from now, if another protein appears that is good or better, that we're not going to move to it. We absolutely will look into that. From impact on the environment, we are one of the first companies in the United States to actually really double down on the sustainability part of soy. And there is soy that is harvested and grown in ways that we don't like, and there is soy that is harvested and grown in ways that we do. Uh, so one of the commitments that we make is a couple of things. We are committed to U.S.-based soy because we know the agricultural practices and we know where that soy comes. We actually know some of the farmers that grow our soy. So we go deep. We actually know the names and we know where they are and we know how they, they go about it. We also joined with the Sustainable Soy Mark. So we not only are looking at where the soy comes from, but we are also making sure that the farmers even in the United States of America, are actually maintaining sustainable and good agricultural practices. And we can talk about it a little bit more later in terms of how they grow it, how they treat the land, how many pesticides they use, what kind of machines do they use and all that. So we do work very actively and we're very interested in minimizing the impact that we have on the land and on the environment, but also we're looking for the best option for our consumer and we just haven't found a better one yet what would you describe as being sustainable farming practices we we do a couple of things on, on the sustainability mark what we're looking for is we're looking for reduction in soil uh, soil erosion we're looking for increased efficiency so less greenhouse emissions we're looking for easier ways to till and to to maintain the land we're looking at reducing the land usage we're looking at reducing water usage. And soy being our biggest agricultural ingredient, we have actually uh, now documented the improvements in those things. For example, by using sustainable practices for our soy, 
our suppliers have been able to reduce soil erosion by 25%. They have been able to increase energy efficiency by 10%. They have been able to reduce total greenhouse emissions by 10%. And they have also reduced land usage by 10%. I don't have the exact percentage of water usage, but because of the soil that we use, we have also had measurable impact on water usage to grow the crop. And we continue to build on that. And those things are uh, important to us. We participate at national level, even with the U.S. government, on making sure that those practices are sustained. And we only buy soy from farmers that actually sign up and subscribe to those to those practices as well. Brilliant. So what is next for Soylent? You know, you are venture-backed. As you mentioned, you had this of moniker as being the first food tech company. Where next for that? You know, are you continuing to raise venture funding? What sort of exit are you planning to provide for investors? Obviously, there's a lot of SPACs around. M&A sort of continues in dribs and drabs. We're fortunate that our investors are long-term investors that want to see the mission of Soyan succeed. So we don't have an exit plan, which is in the next four years or five years. They they don't operate that way and they invest in Soyan for the long term. We also don't require external capital to run the company. We're operationally profitable, uh, we're self-sustaining. The one thing that we will need to solve for is growth capital when we move to our next stages. We started with Complete Meal, which has done very well for us. We're continuing to build on our legacy in US retail. We also launched a few shakes that allow consumers to customize their macros, right? We created a very high protein, high fat, low carb, a beverage which we call complete protein. It also has the full nutrition that you need, but it really amplifies some of the macros that consumers are looking for. And we launched Complete Energy, which allows people to double down on their morning routine, right? It has a little bit of caffeine. It has some nootropics. It also lowers the carbs and the calories to help you get through the morning. We are also now getting more active in the portion control type of uh, segment. Think about powders, right? Powders are the ultimate customization tool for your nutrition. We play very well there. We introduce little bars, which are 100 calories. So it helps. It's either pick me up or you can have two for a heavier meal. And we will continue to build on that legacy. So really, when we look for capital, the only capital that we'll be looking for is as we look at our future products and future categories that we want to enter is how do we fund that expansion? So really, growth capital via raise or via partnerships. It's really on the table for us, but there is no real timetable from when and how we want to do it. As to the exit, if we never exit and we never cash out or we never have this IPO, our investors will be just fine because they want the product to succeed. They like the mission. And if we can expand that mission, not just in the United States, but beyond, they will be super happy with us. When are you coming back to the UK? Because I know you pulled some products from here before. <laughs> well, we are reviewing uh, regulatory roadblocks that we have. One of the things uh, that we are always challenged with is the regulatory framework for heavy, heavily fortified products, which ours is. So the EU has one regulatory framework, Canada has another, the US has a third one. For us to create an efficient product to enter the EU market, we just need to get through a few hurdles, one of them being that we have some ingredients that are not yet approved for use in, in the UK and the EU. So we're working through that hurdle. And I anticipate that we should have an answer for you probably in 2022. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much. It's been good to speak to you. You're always welcome to send any samples my way. <laughs> you got it. As I manage the baby weight. Just kidding. But thank you so much for taking the time. It's been great. Thank you for having me. This is fun. Yeah. 
You've been listening to Future Food with me, Louisa Burwood-Taylor. For news and insights on the food tech and ag tech industries, go to agfundernews.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review.